The following program has been paid for by the Apostolic Faith Church. From the heart of the Pacific, in Honolulu, Hawaii. Church presents the Kingdom of God Crusade. Join us now for another hour of worship with Pastor Han, the church choir, and the band. We hope and pray that you'll find this next hour a blessing. Praise the Lord and good morning, everyone. I'm Head Pastor Billy Han Jr. Thank you for joining us today. We welcome you to the Kingdom of God Crusade telecast, being brought to you every Sunday morning, not only here in Hawaii from 8 to 9 a.m., but also parts of California from 6 to 7 a.m. on station XDTV, channel 13 in San Diego, from 6 to 7 a.m. on station KPSE, channel 13 in Palm Springs, from 6 to 7 a.m. on station KBTV, channel 8, and Comcast channel 238 in Sacramento, including Chico and Fresno. From 6 to 7 a.m. on station KBVU-TV, channel 28 in Eureka. From 8 to 9 a.m. on station KOTR-TV, channel 11 in Monterey. From 6 to 7 a.m. on Charter Cable Channel 1519 in Los Angeles. From 6 to 7 a.m. on station KQTA-TV, channel 15.3, and Comcast channel 238 in San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose. From 6 to 7 a.m. on station KECY, channel 9 in El Central California and Yuma, Arizona. From 6 to 7 a.m. on station KLSR, channel 34 in Eugene, Oregon. From 5 to 6 a.m. on station KZJO, channel 22 in Seattle, Washington. From 6 to 7 a.m. on station KUCW, channel 30 of Ogden, Salt Lake City, Utah, and parts of Nevada and Wyoming. And from 6 to 7 a.m. on Time Warner Cable Channel 503 in New York City. If you'd like more information on our church and view our Kingdom of God Crusade telecast in its entirety, be sure to visit our website at JesusComingSoon.org. The Apostolic Faith Church, located at 1043 Middle Street, is the headquarters of the gospel of the kingdom of God for the whole world with the sign on the roof of the temple, Jesus coming soon. A landmark in Kali for 100 years and our prayer tower, the first of its kind in Hawaii, dedicated exclusively for prayer. The church was founded by the late Charles and Ada B. Lockbaum on August the 4th, 1923, and passed on to our late chief pastor, William M. Hahn Sr. in 1959, who continued the gospel to its fullness. We hope and pray that this telecast will draw you closer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and be a real blessing to you, our television audience, saints wherever you are, and the shut-ins, that is, those of you in the hospitals and convalescent homes. And should you need prayer or someone to pray over you, please, don't hesitate to call the phone number designated at the conclusion of the telecast. To begin today's musical portion of our program, 
We call upon our church choir under the leadership of Emilia Hahn to sing for you the song entitled, Come Holy Spirit. We need Jesus and His Holy Spirit to guide us every day. So we need to ask Jesus daily to come and fill us with His Holy Spirit. Please follow along and sing with the choir as you see the words appear on your screen.
church band under my direction will play a Holy Ghost revival. Lord, we ask for you to send a mighty Holy Ghost revival throughout the land, making yourself even more real to the whole world.
In this devil-may-care world, we must turn to God and ask for His mercy and His grace to help our tired and weary souls. This morning, we have our soloist, Sierra Lynn Hahn, singing the touching song titled, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Yes, viewers, we can all reach out and ask God to take our hand and accept Him into our hearts for strength, guidance, and salvation.
With God in our lives and in our hearts, we are able to be guided daily with God at our side. He brings us joy and happiness, filling our hearts, mind, and soul to overflowing. The church choir will sing their second number entitled, Joy in My Heart, featuring a solo by Christy Hahn. Christ, our Lord and Savior, makes all things possible and deserves all the praises and glory as we lift our voices unto Him. Yes, viewers, let us lift our voices in joy and gladness daily for all He has done, doing, and is going to do. We now call upon Punahele Kapuni to play on her auto harp, the energetic number entitled, Glory to His Name. the hills of God. 
Praise the Lord, everyone. I'm Associate Pastor Melvin Honda, and I would like to repeat our television time, stations, and location in the continental United States for a viewing audience, especially if any of you plan to visit or reside in California, that these telecasts can now be viewed every Sunday morning from 6 to 7 a.m. on station XDTV channel 13 in San Diego, from 6 to 7 a.m. on station KPSC channel 13 in Palm Springs, from 6 to 7 a.m. on station KBTV channel 8, and Comcast Channel 238 in Sacramento, including Chico and Fresno. From 6 to 7 a.m. on station KBVU-TV Channel 28 in Eureka. From 8 to 9 a.m. on station KOTR-TV Channel 11 in Monterey. From 6 to 7 a.m. on Charter Cable Channel 1519 in Los Angeles. From 6 to 7 a.m. on station KQTA-TV channel 15.3 and Comcast channel 238 in San Francisco, Oakland, and San Jose. From 6 to 7 a.m. on station KECY channel 9 in El Centro, California, and Yuma, Arizona. 
from 6 to 7 a.m. on station KLSR Channel 34 in Eugene, Oregon, from 5 to 6 a.m. on station KZJO Channel 22 in Seattle, Washington, from 6 to 7 a.m. on station KUCW Channel 30 of Ogden, Salt Lake City, Utah, and parts of Nevada and Wyoming, from 6 to 7 a.m. on Time Warner Cable Channel 503 in New York City. If you'd like to know more about our gospel work and view a Kingdom of God Crusade telecast in its entirety, please visit our website on JesusComingSoon.org. And now concerning the schedule of gospel services here in our home state, Hawaii, services are held daily at the temple every Tuesday and Friday at 7 p.m. On Sunday, gospel services start at 10 a.m. and divine healing services at 7 p.m. Sunday school for all ages begin at 9 a.m. as prayer services are held daily in the prayer tower at 2 p.m. except on Fridays at 10 a.m. At Okamiki Branch Church located at 1361 Pololo Avenue, gospel services are held on Wednesday evenings only at 7 p.m. The same schedule is observed by neighbor island branch churches as services are also conducted by Pastor Reginald V. Castanera Sr. in Kanakakai, Molokai, by Pastor Walter I. Tinloi in Hilo, Hawaii, by Pastor Leonard K. Waiasano Sr. in Kaloa, Kauai, by Pastor Hannibal Esper in Balogo, Pikawayan, and by Pastor Vesper Esper in President Rojas, Cotabato, Mindanao, Philippines. At our Maui Branch Church in Lahaina, Maui, services are held every second Sunday of the month. You are welcome to attend these services, regardless of church affiliations. There are no collections. However, if you desire to voluntarily contribute to support these telecasts and the Lord's work, you may do so by sending your donation to the address designated at the conclusion of the telecast. And now I'd like to return our program to head pastor Billy Hahn Jr., who will bring forth his spirit-directed and spirit-inspired sermon. Pastor Billy. Thank you, Melvin. It is my heartfelt desire, TV viewers, that you all join me, me in the reading of God's Word as I present my sermon for today entitled, The Church is a Spiritual Organism. And I pray that it will provide you with the strength and comfort you seek. I also hope that as a result of this Spirit-inspired sermon, you allow Jesus into your hearts and accept Him as your Lord and Savior this very day. The age-long struggle in the realm of Christianity has been a battle. In seeking to advance the kingdom of God, we find the Holy Spirit in the church on one side and Satan and all his satanic forces on the other. Despite the persecution, mocking, and scoffing, Jesus tells us the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church of God still stands and will stand until Jesus returns. In the fifth chapter of Acts, we find Satan working through Ananias and Sapphira. Their sin consisted in lying to the Holy Spirit and not in keeping back their property, and death fell upon them. Great fear fell upon the people, and multitudes believed. The apostles were arrested by the religious leaders. They were beaten and commanded to preach Jesus no more. But they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Instead of the church becoming weaker, it grew stronger. Whenever that happens, Satan decides to attack from the inside. He starts a campaign of criticism and fault. It works the same way today. 
but we do not fear any persecution from the outside. No one is going to stop us from holding services. No one is going to stop us from attending services. Thus, the devil does his work within the church, and that is the reason for many quarrels and split-ups. When these things happen, things are divided, people are hurt, and many people leave the faith. There is no need for any church to have these quarrels, which are based on trivialities, gossip, hearsay, and misunderstandings. There are six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. We read in Proverbs, the sixth chapter, verses 17 to 19, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that defies it wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. When true born-again believers go quarreling among themselves, Satan sits back and laughs. However, when the saints band together in unity, the devil gets a black eye. Listen to Acts 6.1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their windows, widows, were neglected in the daily ministration. There were two groups in the church, the Jews and the Greeks. The church had grown quite large, so that this distribution among the congregation had become a major problem. The Grecians felt that the Grecian widows were not getting a fair share. Therefore, they began to complain. Listen to verses 2 and 3. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And the saying pleased the multitude. Someone said, There are two causes for us to take. We are either to be preachers of the gospel or welfare workers. You will remember that our Lord instructed us to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. I think that we ought to give our time to the ministry and have the church elect others to take care of these material matters. This concern was taken in prayer. The concern was discussed and decisions that would be best for the church were made. Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, Philip and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of the Antioch, were chosen. We know here that the apostles put the redemptive side of the gospel above the social side. They said it is all right to feed people and help them to have better living conditions. But the most important part of the church's work is preaching the gospel and working on the salvation of souls. Some religious leaders were contending the old-time religion is out of date. Therefore, they should not preach about salvation, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and about heaven and hell, because these were all outmoded. Instead, they were to preach on better living conditions, shorter work hours, better wages, world peace, tolerance, 
and racial prejudice. However, TV viewers, we must preach the gospel, including Jesus, who was crucified for the sins of the whole world. We must get men into the right relationship with God, and then all these things will work for them that love God. Yes, give us that old-time religion. If it was good enough for Paul and Silas, it is good enough for us today. Jesus Christ saying yesterday, today, and forever, he never changes. The men that were chosen were called deacons. What kind of men were to be chosen? One, they were to be proven men. Deacons were not to be elected until the Lord had every reason to believe that they were fit for the office. They were to prove their worthiness by living the life and prove their faithfulness in all things, including their tithing and offerings, their loyalty and cooperative spirit. Two, they were to be consecrated men, full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Three, they were to be sound in scriptural principles. Let us read in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 12. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given too much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house well. They were to be men full of wisdom and understanding. It was not necessary for them to be college or seminary school graduates. All they needed to have was good common sense. For the believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit himself is the anointing by which the born-again believer is set apart for the service unto the Lord. Listen to Acts 1.8. But he shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And he shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. There were to be men of loyalty they were to be loyal to Jesus Christ and be steadfast in their convictions. They were to be loyal to the church. They were to be loyal in their serving and their giving. They were to be loyal to their pastor, as you read in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. If every church operated strictly by these biblical codes and qualifications, we would have the best deacons in the church. The word deacon comes from a word which means servant. Thus, they were to be servants of the church. They were elected to settle quarrels and misunderstandings, not to start them. As we think of labor, we think of an Old Testament incident. When Moses was overworked, his father-in-law said, as you read in Exodus 18, 18, thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee, thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Jethro advised Moses to select some able men to help. Let us read verse 22, and let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. Moses took his father-in-law's advice, and the plan worked out well. The Bible is the most sensible book of advice in the world. What did the church do next? It set these men before the preachers, and the preachers ordained them. 
How did they perform their ordination? We read in Acts 6, 6, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. The laying on of hands accompanied by prayer was also used in divine healing as well as oil, a symbol of the Holy Ghost as a token of ordination for special service. We also read verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Can you imagine? Even the priests accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. This ought to be happening in every church. Stephen, one of the seven chosen, became a great preacher. He was one of the greatest figures in the early church because he was the first Christian martyr. When he began preaching, he had great power and God prospered his work. Stephen preached on the new order of things, since all in the old order, the old things, had been nailed to the cross. Stephen spoke of the greater things. He spoke of a greater person than Moses, a greater sacrifice than all the bullocks, sheep, and goats offered on the Jewish altars. He spoke of a greater day than the Sabbath. He preached the superior of Jesus in comparison to all things in the dispensation of the Old Testament. Naturally, the enemies of the gospel became angry. Finally, Stephen was brought to trial. As you read in Acts 6, 12 to 15, And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And set up false witnesses who said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face that has been the face of an angel. In my opinion, when Jesus is in the man's heart, as he was in Stephen's heart, a man becomes different even on the outside. Yes, viewers, if you want to have a new look, that is the look of a shining face, just come to the cross. Come to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yes, viewers, open your hearts to him. Let him come in and possess you and he will make you a different you. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The new man is one who has been born again, as he swingish from the old man. He is a new man, having become a partaker of the divine nature and life. In no sense is he the old one made over or improved. The new man is Christ, formed in the believer. Jesus tells us, you must be born again. If, viewers, you were to ask your friends and acquaintances, how does one get to heaven? You would probably receive as many answers as the number of friends you asked. Some would suggest that you keep the golden rule. Some may say that you must keep the Ten Commandments. Or some may say, just do the best you can and be honest. But when you are dealing with something as important as your eternal life and heaven, you want something more than just the opinion of men. You want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. You want to know what God's word and not man's word has to say about eternal life. Jesus said in John 3, 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What does the term born again mean, you ask? This is the most important question, and because so many people have never realized that there is only one way to get to heaven. Some have already gone into eternity lost and bound for hell, not heaven. 
Let us see what being born again means according to the Bible, the Word of God. It takes water baptism and the baptism of the Spirit, which is speaking in tongues, the only Bible evidence of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit to get into the kingdom of God. Yes, viewers, you can't have one without the other. What God had joined together, let no man put asunder. Why argue with God? He tells us he must be born again. The question is, how can we be born again? Peter told those who rejected and crucified the Lord the following in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this verse, we find that when you repent and are baptized, God promises he will take away your sins and remove them as far as the east is from the west and grant you the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is your passport to heaven. The promises of God are yea and amen. God sent the Lord Jesus Christ to pay the death penalty for the sins of simple men. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus is our only hope for this lost and dying world, which is headed for destruction. We read in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. This verse tells us plainly that outside the name of Jesus, no one can be saved. Therefore, the mission of the early church was not to be an organization, but to be an organism. The spiritual church is one. Let us read in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Therefore, it is not a social club organized and supported solely for the benefit of its members. It is not a place of amusement to pander the carnal nature of man. It is not a house of merchandise, but a house of prayer. Neither is it a reform bureau to save the bodies of men, but it exists to work on the salvation of souls. The reformation of men is very commendable, as all are all forms of social service. But that is not the mission of the church. The world was just as full, if not fuller, of the evils that afflict society today in the days of Jesus, but he never did nor did the apostles organize any reform agencies. He knew that the source of all evils in the world was sin. And the only way to eradicate sin was through Jesus. Reading John 1.29, the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And that sin is unbelief in Christ Jesus. Jesus gave the world the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the mission of the church was and still is to preach the gospel to every creature. Read in Mark 16, 15 to 18, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. 
they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working in them with signs following. As we have seen in the early church, the church had its origin in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. Yet, it did not exist until after Christ's ascension. He prepared his disciples. He took them to Caesarea Philippi, and there asked a question, whom do men say I am? We read in Matthew 16, 14 to 17, and they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? In other words, he wanted a direct answer from his apostles, not from man or anyone else. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now we find in the 18th verse the church mentioned for the first time. Let us read. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The word Peter is taken from the Greek Petros, meaning a piece of rocks or stone. The word rock in this verse is translated from another Greek word, Petra, meaning a mass of rock, an essential rock. Our Lord Jesus was not stating here that his church would be built upon Peter, but upon this essential rock that is the fact of his deity which Peter had just confessed. The use of the word rock was understood by the Jews to whom our Lord was speaking. When Moses smote the rock in the wilderness, the rock was the symbol of the Son of God. Had the Lord meant that the church was to be founded on Peter, certainly the latter would have understood this promise. Yet in his first epistle, Peter indicated no such thing. The keys of the kingdom was promised to Peter. The first key was used on the day of Pentecost. The gospel was given to the Jews. The second key was used seven years later when the gospel was given to the Gentiles in the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Gentiles were despised by Jews because they considered the Gentiles to be outcasts, away from God, and not privileged to enjoy his blessings. However, we read in Acts 10, 34-35, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Would it be wonderful if that spirit of attitude prevailed? There would be no racism. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Thus must all prophets continue to witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Ephesians 2, 19, 22 describes the church as the temple of God. Let us read. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an inhabitation of God through the Spirit. And the church down through the century has been growing and will continue to grow.
If you would like to know more about God's Word, the church, or review the Silicast presentation in its entirety, please visit our website at JesusComingSoon.org. Until our next Silicast, this is your host, Head Pastor Billy Hahn Jr., expressing my sincerest appreciation to each of you who have allowed us to come into your homes. May the good Lord bless and keep you all in the hollow of His hands. To close today's program, the church band will play Pentecost in My Soul.
The preceding program was paid for by the Apostolic Faith Church.